Good morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship this morning, to look into your word for the liberty that you afford us in this nation. Lord, we pray for our president, vice president, for those that represent us in Congress and the Senate, our governor, Lord, our city officials, Lord, that you would direct their path because you've told us that it's, you can change the heart of a king just like a farmer turns the direction of his irrigation ditch. And so, Lord, we trust you because you are the king. And, Lord, I pray that we use the liberty that you've given us in our nation to be salt and light, to let our light shine before men that they might see the reflection of you unhindered by us. Lord, give us understanding from the word. Lord, grow us that we might be stronger in a clear reflection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. In these chapters, Paul is beginning to answer questions. So last time we were here in 1 Corinthians, we were in, seven, in, in chapter 7, and we looked at marriage, divorce, and remarriage as a Christian. Today, we look at this cultural challenge, and I've entitled the message, Christian Liberty and Responsibility. Christian liberty is a central truth of the New Testament. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. But Christian liberty is not license. It's never freedom to sin. There are two common extremes when it comes to Christian liberty. There, are, there is legalism and the other is license. Legalism believes that there's no gray area, there's no options. It's only black and white. And normally there's a core of people that decide what those things are. And we're not talking about biblical things. We're talking about things the Bible does not speak to specifically. A lot of things in our culture like that. And so for the legalists, they live by rules rather than by the Spirit. They classify everything as good or bad, whether the Bible mentioned or not. And they develop an exhaustive uh, list of do's and don'ts. And they're always adding to that list. Doing the good things in the list and avoiding the bad things on the list That's what determines their spirituality. And so you don't have to be in the word. You don't have to have a walk with the Lord. Just do the list and you can fit in. License says, as long as your own conscience is free, you can do whatever you want. Go with your gut. Don't let anybody hinder your choices. And they mislabel grace as the ability to just do whatever they want. The Bible doesn't speak to it. You're, it's on your own. It doesn't matter what other people think, what other people, how it affects other people. Now, specifically, he's talking about meats offered to idols. Probably not something you have to deal with on a daily basis. There are other things you have to deal with in culture, but probably that's not one. If you live in another culture, you might, but not here. It's not that we don't have idols. We sing that song. I love that song, the last one we sing about the idols, whatever that idol is, whatever idol I've known, help me to tear it from your throne and worship only you. John writes his book on discipleship, letter 1 John, and he says, flee idolatry. Because idolatry would be in stuff that's innocuous to somebody else. It can become a problem to you. Anything that comes between you and your relationship with the Lord And you can justify it, but you know that it's taking up time and money that should be going for ministry or some other place. It was almost impossible for a believer who had any personal contact with Gentiles to avoid facing the questions of eating idols' sacrifices. Most social occasions, weddings, any kind of pagan worship, and a great many of their festivals were held in temples. Idol food was always served. A relative was getting married or a longtime friend was giving a banquet. There was something you had to deal with. So where do we begin? A believer always begins with what the Bible says. And we never want to be afraid to go back and look again at what the Bible teaches about something. It's too easy for us as believers to slip into legalism. We have that, that, that natural, I don't know why, but we love to be ruled. And I guess it's because it's easier than a relationship with the Lord. You're keeping the rules. Got my rules down. And we adjust those rules, whatever makes us comfortable normally. Now, you want to be careful because somebody may have a standard in their life, and it's not legalism. Legalism isn't what you do. It's why you're doing it. If you think you're doing this thing and that God makes you acceptable to God, it gets you a little closer to God, 
whether it's your diet, the way you wear your clothes, your hair, anything. Well, I'm doing this, and this makes me more spiritual. And then what happens naturally is you begin to look at other people. And you say, well, they're not as spiritual because they don't do what I'm doing. It's a danger for us because we kind of like to be in charge and control the circumstances around us. Or to begin, it begins with knowledge. So Paul writes, and he says, now... Concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Oh, and the people that were asking the question, they just wanted Paul to straighten these immature people out, these legalists out that wouldn't let them have their freedom, that maybe were being critical. Now, this is the same spirit that he deals with when he comes to communion in 1 Corinthians 11. Some were coming, and they were being gluttonous and getting drunk, at this love feast that they had communion at the end of it, and then some were coming and they didn't have enough to eat because the people who were there said, well, you had two factions, basically, the haves, and there was the have-nots, and that's what always permeates our attitudes. So we don't want to share with the have-nots because God might be still working on them, and so obviously you saw all these problems were happening in the church. And so Paul, these people wanted Paul to just kind of straighten them out. Just tell them it's okay. Knowledge puffeth up. And then he takes the pen out and he pops her balloon. He says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. I don't know where I heard someone say, knowledge not ministered soon turns to pride. And that's so true of us as believers. In Revelation 1, when Paul is writing to the churches, the first church he writes to is Ephesus. And there's a church that knew their doctrine, kept it straight, knew it was right, knew it was wrong, but what did he say? He said, I have one thing against you. You've left your first love. First Corinthians 13, Paul says, if you have all knowledge and all faith and all sacrifice in your life and you don't have love, it's not worth anything. We know that we all have knowledge, and this is the bottom line. He begins with a principle. Love builds up. Our responsibility in our liberty is always the other Christian, the weaker brother. Now, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he's not yet known as he ought to know. Isn't that the truth? Somebody said that Somebody you find knowledge is the process of passing from the unconscious state of ignorance to the conscious state of ignorance. Ignorance does not know what it does not know. True knowledge does not know and knows it. And that's why I always speak to our young men coming out of seminary. They come out of seminary, they got their degree. I'm not everyone. Some have lived long enough to know this, but they, they almost have this attitude, come unto me and I will fill you with my knowledge. Or there's the other kind that their knowledge is a hammer to beat everybody up with. Somebody that really understands. I remember David, others have, have used it when David was, uh, before he'd gone to Germany to pastor, he gave us some illustrations, uh, I think from Louis Giglio, a message he had on how, how great is our God. And he showed our sun and then the biggest sun and how small our sun is and all the galaxies. And the Bible says, our God breathed the, st- the stars out. It's always kind of humorous to me when you find a young seminarian, young theologue that thinks he's got God figured out. 
Well, you haven't, or he wouldn't be God. Charles Swindoll says, don't try to unscrew the inscrutable. So Paul's saying, you think you got a handle on things you really don't know very much yet. If you think you got to figure it out, you really don't know what you're talking about yet. Because when you really get to know God, what you're left with is in awe of who he is. The deeper you study the scriptures, the more that you know, the more that you know that you can never plumb the depths, the depths of the knowledge of our God. His wisdom and his beauty are past finding out. Verse 3, but if anyone loves God, he's known by him. Because that's another reason people kind of get into this knowledge deal. Now listen, there are different giftednesses. I remember uh, Pastor Hutchison coming to me because he has that brain like um, Bookman does. And he's always asking the scripture questions, and he says, what about this, Paul? And I would tell him, John, I really don't care. Not where, not where I'm at. And then he'll go figure it out and come back. Here's what I figured out. I said, that's good, John. That'll preach. I'll use that. Thank you. Because it takes those different giftednesses. Some guys are teachers, and, then, and some women, they just want to know all those details, but it doesn't stop there. It always has to lead back to building others up, never a hammer in your hand. And God is not impressed with how much you know. What's impressive is how much you love. And you don't have to worry about knowing a whole bunch. Jesus said, you know that you love me if you keep my commandments. In our nation, I don't know about other places, it was kind of funny when you go to this place that they're King James only. What do they use when they're in Mexico? I don't know. King James only. King James is a great translation. I grew up with it. There are all kinds of things that people can make a standard that God didn't make a standard. And I told you before, Pastor Howe straightened that out for me a long time ago. Uh, not that that was a problem to me. But uh, he said, Paul, you know what the best translation is? I said, no, Lynn, what? He said, Obedience. Obedience. So don't be distracted by thinking that God will love you just because you know more. The amazing thing about our God, he loves us all the same. He loves the little baby Christians. He loves the Christian that's erring and, and, and wandering. And he loves the faithful believer all the same. That's the amazing love of our God. But we demonstrate our love to him not by how much we know but how much we love him, and we love him, we're going to love what he loves, and that's other believers and lost people. So it begins with knowledge. In verses 4 through 6, Paul responds to the three reasons. The three reasons some of the Corinthians gave for feeling completely free to act as they wanted to is that we know we have all knowledge. It's right here in the Scripture. We have everything the Lord wants us to have. Secondly, we know an idol is nothing. And thirdly, we know that food is not an issue with God. But knowledge, not even God's word, is not enough, is it? If it was just the word of God, you would need the Holy Spirit. But we need the Holy Spirit to teach us. 
So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 3, 15 and 16, let the peace of God rule in your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. We talked about that already a few weeks ago, that God leads us by spiritual words and spiritual thoughts. You have a personal relation with him. Now, just because a thought hits your brain, you're a believer, doesn't mean it's God, does it? You have to go check with the word. Then if it lines up there and you're sure, still not sure, you're not at peace about it, what do you do? Wise counsel. Other people that will be praying for you. Because the, the Bible doesn't tell you what girl to marry, what job to take, where to go to school, the decisions, what you make in school, what you decide to become. It doesn't tell us those things. But God has a plan, doesn't he? How did he get, get you there? It's by his peace and by his word. You say, well, I think I'm going to make a lot of money selling drugs on the corner. Uh, no. Well, I have peace about it. The Bible doesn't. Romans chapter 13 says we're to submit to the laws, right? And what does that do to other people? There are all kinds of things that we bring to bear, but it's the word of God and God's peace. And then it goes on to say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So you want to saturate your life with the word so you have that first protection. First protection. What does the Bible say? Secondly, has God given us peace? How is this going to affect other people around me? You shouldn't have peace about things that are going to hurt somebody else, even if it doesn't bother you. Love and knowledge have to go together. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. Let's just look at verses 4 through 6. Therefore, concerning the, eats, the, the, the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. Now he's going to talk about conscience. Verse 7, however... Not all men who have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Now, the conscience is this amazing gift that God has given to human beings. Before you're saved, you have a conscience. And the Bible says in Romans that one day God is going to judge everybody with the conscience that he gave them. It says in Romans chapter 1 that all men without excuse about who God is because God put in them that conscience that there is a creator. You couldn't have this order and this beauty without a creator. But because they did not want to worship God, they refused that. And they began to serve what? The creation more than the creator. And because of that, we live in this culture we live in now that began with God and now it says, no God for us. And God gives them over to a reprobate mind, a mind that can't think straight. Just look at Washington, right? Can't think straight. Why? Because this is not the standard anymore. So like the Old Testament folks and judges, every man does what's right in his own eyes. And if you get a lot of people to agree with you, that's good. And if somebody disagrees with you and what you're doing is wickedness, then that's bad. 
the conscience. Now, the conscience can be damaged. Here he's talking in particular about new believers. How can you damage the conscience? First of all, by these people are still kind of hooked up on the idol. Maybe their idol before was alcohol, and they just live for alcohol. Some of you have a testimony like that. Some of my buddies have told me the only reason we had Wyoming football was to get drunk, you know? We don't remember much of the game, but we sure had fun. And so uh, somebody first comes to Christ, you say, well, there's nothing wrong with me having a beer. Technically, there's nothing wrong with having your beer, but that's not the only answer, is there? There's something wrong with you getting drunk. The Bible is very clear about that. Drunkenness is sin. You say, well, I had a little buzz. It wasn't that bad. Sin. The Bible's very clear about that. What we've done in, in, in churches, which I'm sure they had good intentions, say, well, absolutely no alcohol. Anybody that has a beer is sinning. Well, not necessarily. It's not what the Bible teaches. What we've done with legalism sometimes is build a fence, you know. We'll put the fence here, prevent people from sinning. Guess what? Sin lives in the heart. That's where it comes from. But neither can you say, well, it's okay how much I drink. It doesn't matter. You can't say anything because the Bible doesn't speak to it. Yes, it does speak to that. So if there's a young believer and he had a problem with, he, he was just filled with idolatry. He's come to Christ and he sees you going back to the same thing. He thinks, oh, I guess that Christian's kind of getting the best of all worlds. The thing that made the meat valuable, was cl- it was cleansed from the evil spirits, see? So you could eat it without worrying about the evil spirits. So this new believer could say, hey, Christian, he has Christ now, but he sees the way things are, and so we can go eat some of those that meat, and it's cleansed. So the Christian sees that too. He doesn't understand. It means nothing to you. You don't look at it that way. But Paul says because of love, we have to look at our liberty and say, how is it affecting people around us? Later, in the book of Corinthians, you're going to say, if somebody says, oh, by the way, this meat was off to idol, I'll say, oh, whoosh, shove the plate away. It was just loaded up. It was that ribeye that was done perfectly. You say, well, no, slide it away. Because you've just heard from that young believer that he's still kind of tangled in that. And you don't want to injure his conscience. The other way you can defile a believer's conscience is to give them rules instead of the relationship with God. You see, young believers, they just want to please God. They've just come to the Lord and they just, everything. So you can tell them, listen, from now on, you can only do a bowl cut with your hair and they'll do it. They'll do it. You can give them those rules and say, well, we don't have any contemporary music in fact, we don't even use instruments. We don't believe, because the Bible said in the Old Testament, God said, get all the instruments out of the temple. Well, totally different circumstance. And you let, get, get him a bunch of rules, and it'll be so hard for him to get over. I remember going to a conference years ago, and uh, first time I've been, I, I took some good principles from that conference. And the second time I went, I took some college kids that had just gotten saved here a long time ago. And I was sitting in the conference going, oh, man, this stuff's bad. Because this conference had developed enough that now it had found out all the right answers. So they're handing out all the answers. You can't do this. You can't do from, from diet to the way you dress, everything. And so I pulled those guys aside to listen. 
Here's the Bible principles. These aren't bad, but we're not coming back to this again. And do you know that some of those guys never got over that? Even after, right away, I said, this stuff's bad, guys. This is legalism. Now, if you and your family happen to have a standard and you say, you know what, we're just not going to have alcohol in our house, that's not legalism. It's not legalism unless you begin to judge other people by your standard. You may have some standards in your house. We don't go to these places. Because God has given you conviction. You say, this is the way we're going to do it. Maybe your conviction happens to be homeschool. That's awesome. God has led you. You parents are responsible. But you cannot then pass everybody else. Well, I don't know why you're taking the kids to the, to the devil's Sunday school, right? That's pretty easy to do. Maybe that's what it was for you, that clear. But you can't do that. That's legalism. And it's judgment, and you're going to hurt somebody. And the way you might hurt them is by talking them into, you can never be with the public school kids, right? And so we have churches that have this edifice mentality that they're looking out their little slots with their little gospel guns poked out like it's the fort, and we never can go out there. What's the other extreme? License, where you just assimilate, and the world can't tell you different from anything. There's always this biblical balance if we will listen to the Lord. But we don't want to hurt somebody by telling them, hey, listen, don't worry about worldliness. Just get out there and do the same thing so you can win somebody to the Lord. Remember a girl coming to me probably 25 years ago. She had two stories. One, she said, I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, I just go to the bars, and the next morning I wake up with this guy, I don't even know who he is, and I just really feel kind of bad about that. I'm like, what? Well, they said in our college ministry we should be going to the bars to try to win people to the Lord. I said, and then her next statement was, I just know why I don't have any, you know, security in my salvation. Okay. First of all, stop going to the bars. You can't handle that. There's something that's more important then how many people you invite to church, and that's your holiness. That's what's going to affect people, salt and light. For you, maybe there are some, some tough old guys that can go to the bar, and they can open the Bible and share. That's great. You're not one of those. So you can't go making standards for other people. It's okay because I do this. Everybody can do this. Maybe they're not there yet. And secondly, the reason you have no security in your salvation is because God's about fifth on your list of priorities. And she said, I wouldn't put him that low. I said, Bingo. Yeah. If he's not first, he's not ruling his Lord in your life. But there's no thought to ask the Lord because there was strong leadership in that group that decided everybody should be doing this because it was about how big the group got. See, that's love without knowledge. That's dangerous. Just as dangerous as knowledge without love. So he goes on. And he says, food will not commend us to God. So if you want to make rules about things, there are churches still, Christian churches, that you can't eat pork. And then there's other people, you shouldn't eat sugar. Poison, poison, poison. And you shouldn't eat white bread. Great. Here's the deal about eating, you know, food and not limiting yourself. You might just go to heaven sooner. But it's so easy to develop these little things that we can feel better than other people. He said, no, food doesn't make you better or worse with God. 
But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Now listen, I don't know if you've had this experience. I've had this experience where there are the professionally immature Christian. And that's the people that they've just refused to grow. They, don't, they, they hold on to the legalism they had as an infant Christian and they never change at all. They, they just hold on to it. And they come into your church and now we're big enough, they just leave, you know. But something offends them and then they write me a letter. I was offended by this. They don't understand what that word means. See, when, you're, when you offend somebody, it's like Jesus said, you offend a little child. It'd be better for you that a millstone were hung around your neck and cast in the deepest sea. It means you cause somebody to stumble. And so I had some guys growing up there on that. It has surprised me how quickly we can get into a rut as believers because we just want to be comfortable. So we get to figure it out. We got these things. They, well, we're offended by this. I'm like, really? Has it caused you to stumble back into alcohol or this or that, whatever they were dealing with? Well, no, but we're offended. I said, no, you're not offended. You, you haven't stumbled into anything. It bugs you because it's different than you, and you're not in control of it, but you're not, you haven't stumbled, and you're not really offended. This is talking about when somebody, all of a sudden, this, this young believer would go back into paganism full blast because all of a sudden, he, find, he thinks he can have Jesus and the idol too. That's stumbling. Verse 10, for if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? And so he would just all of a sudden think, well, hey, we'll just go back there again. So you have to think about that. And you might make some choices that you're willing to give up some things, and it's not a big deal to you. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. That's pretty serious. That's when you've said, I have this liberty, but it doesn't matter because I have this liberty. I was in Bible college, you know, I went to a Bible college that if you went to a movie theater in town, you could be shipped, sent home. If you went to a movie theater out of town, then they give, give you some demerits because they didn't want to see a student from Pillsbury going to a theater. But if you went secretly out of town, then you just get some demerits if they found out about it. That's just the way we grew up. Lynn can tell you about it. Peggy can tell you about it. Now, the motivation of that was we don't want to support Hollywood. But then they, as soon as the video players came out, all the Christians were like, all right, I'm not going to the theater. I'll watch it at home. You know, what do you put in your brain? What are you supporting? That's the issue. But I remember some uh, well-meaning, intentioned people. We see this a lot in the reform movement now. You know, look, we can drink beer. And so that's the big thing. That's all you know about those Christians is they're beer drinkers. The Bible says that's not what you want to be known about you. That's what the world says, you know. They want to be known. But yeah, it's always been funny to me that a uh, couple of things that the, all the alcohol companies at the end say, drink, but drink responsibly. So if you drink and get in a wreck and kill somebody, don't blame us. You should handle your sin, Right? The other thing is people, adults, 
They like get their picture taken with a glass of wine or a beer. Look what I'm drinking. You ever do that with a Coke? Look, Mountain Dew, man. We had five cases of Coke last night. What's the difference? The difference is the spirit of the world and the idolatry. That's the difference. So we as believers have to be discerning and say, what is it I want to be known? Not what can I get away with, but how am I reflecting the love and the holiness of Jesus Christ? It's important. You can go to some Christians' homes and it looks like they're advertising for a wine company. It's like, well, that's not sin. We're just, it's just decoration. Okay. I'm not saying what I think. What does the world think? Well, we're just trying to fit in. Really? Is that what Jesus said? Make sure you fit in with everything you do. Make sure that you can just go through life and nobody even knows you're a believer. Because No. Salt and light. Salt in a wound stings. And salt makes thirsty for what you have, the water of God's word. And you don't get a candle, Jesus said, and put it under a bed or hide it under a bushel. But we're not trying to let people know what all of our extra biblical standards are. That's not the point. It's the love of Christ. And I realize as we're growing, you're going to have to deal with some of those issues. It's like freshmen in high school when they first come into the gym and they lift and they get a little sore. All of a sudden they can feel those lats growing and they walk around like this. Right? And there's an adjustment as you're growing. And so those that are stronger have to come alongside and say, hey, you know, that's, that's not really a big deal. They told us in seminary, when you find something new in Scripture, keep it to yourself. It's either apostate or you're going to look real stupid because everybody already knows that. But it's the balance of loving one another. So Paul comes to the conclusion in verse 13, therefore, all of that say, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. What's the big deal, he said. You see, they started out with these people. Would you please straighten out all the immature people and all the immature legalists in our church and tell them it's okay for me to party wherever I want to party. And I can eat whatever I want to eat. Tell them to grow up. Paul ends with, listen, I'm more concerned about my Christian brothers and especially those that are weak than whether or not I eat meat. So if there's even a chance, I'm just going to not eat the meat. That's where our liberty is. I think it was Peter Rose said, don't, don't use your liberty as a cloak for maliciousness. It's pretty easy. You get to think that, that now you're saved and you've grown and you have these liberties and then you want to rub it in other people's face. Look what I can do. What's to be known about us? Our love for Christ. And we know our love for Christ by our obedience to the word and by our love for one another. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we'd have consciences that are informed by the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, and bathed in your love, God. That we might be an encouragement to one another to be more like Christ. Lord, you got those criticisms when you were on earth. You accused of being a wine bibber and, 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 and eating and drinking with sinners. 
and yet you are the God of heaven. Lord, thank you for laying your life down for us. Help us to never get over that. And as you instructed us, help us to be like children. Always in awe of your knowledge and your wisdom and your power. And just so thankful that you loved us. And then, Lord, help us just to be a conduit of love to one another. That we might be an encouragement to every other believer to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.